Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Thoughts that come to mind for fly fishing and destinations are Bahamas for bonefish, Midwest for smallmouth, and of course Montana for trout. But rarely do I think I've got to make my way to New York to fish. Today, my guest will enlighten me on all the fish species I can target in the Big Apple. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon Dale. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here because as you know, I've been I've been a creeper and been following you. I'm like, gosh, I mean, you are in <laughs> the Big Apple. You were just telling me that you're looking out your window and you can see Cent- Central Park. Oh yeah, it's like right across from my tie- my my fly tying bench literally faces out the window and I can see the uh, Harlem Mirror like right from here. That is incredible. Well, I can't wait to hear a little bit more about um your backyard, but before we get there, let's hear a fishing story. Oh yeah. Okay. Um so one that I was trying to think about what would be the most representative and sort of one that really I think encapsulates kind of how I think about fly fishing in general is uh is is honestly in Central Park and I think that's the beautiful part of it is you know, I originally started off on trout fishing. I was a trout bump for uh, forever, still am. But um, it was not too long ago, like maybe two or three years ago, that I really started to really target these amazing urban bonefish, at some say, or uh, swamp donkeys, known as common carp, uh, in Center Park. And so, um, if you put yourself in, in, if you can close your eyes and sort of paint a picture, uh, imagine this: you are just arrived from either JFK or LaGuardia Airport. You've now landed. You're in the Big Apple. You see, you know, the skyline coming down. You hop in a taxi cab. You pipe on up to 72nd, and you're at the sort of what they call the, the Grand Lake, um, the Central Lake in Central Park. And you pull up to Bethesda Fountain, which if you see pictures of this, and I can send it to you later, 
you know, this is what you typically see either weddings with like a thousand tourists in the background and a couple of, you know, people feeding birds. They have ducks all over the place, turtles. Uh, but if you start to look a little closer, just as I did when I first moved to the city a couple of years ago, I was like, wait, that's something coming up on the surface. As I started looking closer and closer, of course, they were carp. Um, and so <laughs> one of the things that I was first sort of realizing whenever I came to New York, and, and, and this was with most places, like I don't really move anywhere where I don't have access to water, like kind of in my backyard, um, was just the abundance of the amazing fishery that we have right here in the city. And so uh, one of the very first fish that I remember really successfully being able to target was actually with my friend Alex. Um, so he is a big birder. So we went to this area that we had been seeing lots of fish rise before. And again, super crowded. Like we have to make sure that we go at a time where we're not going to have to worry about backcasting because there are usually so many people here from like 9 p.m. to like 9 a.m. All regular hours, just tourists kind of cycling through, taking pictures. There's the, you know, the regular gondola rower in the middle of the park. Uh, so here we are pulling up to this really, really busy area. And he's got his like binocular birding glasses. I've got my like vortex glasses that I hunt with uh and we've got our eight weights we've got what, what i've coined as a bread fly which is a sort of pattern that i've sort of been sort of perfecting um for central park carp and a couple of other um sort of subsurface flies that i thought might work and here we are spaking out on this giant rock looking for fish that are on the rise because what's really cool about this is um these carp get massive so the entire park is catch and release and because of that, it's just like every fish you catch just gets educated. And so every time that like you blow a strike, you pull it out of its mouth or something, uh, or you stick it and it doesn't stick because it's all barbless, uh, that fish is really infinitely more difficult to catch now. And so I remember the first time we actually went to try to get this done, we were like, okay, let's get up early. Like he's also an insane fly fisherman and as, as crazy as I am about this stuff. So thankfully, uh, it's like, okay, let's get up. We'll hit the water at like 5.30. So we hopped on City Bike, which is like a public bike uh, rental program that you can bike down. So in five minutes, we bike from our apartment down. And um, yeah, we land up on the water. We find a couple of fish that are rising and we're like, okay, let's set up. So he's on top of this rock saying, okay, to your left and 50 foot cast, go. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm just following his lead, literally blasting out this bread fly, like a 50 foot cast. I can't see the fish, right? Because of the vantage at which you have to approach the water, most of the times you're like pretty low to the surface. And so like, you really have to kind of be high in the water, especially before the sun comes up and gives you a lot of visual vision on the fish. Um, so basically we're recreating what you'd see on bonefish flats here in Central Park. And then all of a sudden, bam, the fish takes set. And all of a sudden, uh, yeah, I completely missed the fish, ripped it out of its mouth. <laughs> Even now just talking about it, I'm like, my heart rate's going up thinking about the eat. Um, but yeah, I rip it out like boiling, you know, no fish, etc. So I'm swinging a miss. So we do this for a couple more hours. And um, by this point, you know, it's like nine o'clock. People are starting to kind of come around and, and there's a bunch of areas where people will picnic kind of regularly in Central Park. And so eventually you'll wind up uh, with a pretty big uh, audience. So one of the bigger fish that I caught, which I'll send you a picture of Lauren, um, is uh, it, was, it was my biggest one I've ever landed in the park. Not the biggest one I've hooked. We've hooked some that were probably pushing 34, 35 inches, but this is a solid 30 inch uh, common carp. And it was the type of thing where like they had people out eating breakfast on like this uh, sort of like uh, restaurant right outside of like on the water on the park. They had like the sort of gondola rower um, rowing around. And I like same thing. We set up, we set up. I see this fish cruising over. And this, this cast was, it wasn't too far. And the thing is you have no back casting room. So it's like you're roll casting most of the time for these fish unless you're in areas where you can have like a hole within the trees. Um, so I roll cast over and basically give it, again, top, top water. So it's, a, it's like a size eight bread fly. It's a pretty large. Um, and and, and I, I tie these flies with that mannerism because I want to make sure that the hook gauge is so big because I've had hooks just straighten out um, on me all the time there. And so it's a pretty wide, thick gauge wire, um, but it's tied pretty sparsely on an eight though. Um, and basically I make this roll cast. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Alex and I can just see the dark shadow of the fish approaching the fly. And the thing is you can basically see the head corpus up first. And then you see the mass of the body kind of angling up as it's eating. And so I see this thing come up, it opens its mouth and it feels like the world's moving in slow-mo as I'm like watching this eat, you know, cause I've like blown so many of these so far. And, uh, all of a sudden, whoop, it takes under and I say one, two set. And all of a sudden drag. <laughs> It's just crazy. Uh, just an absolute fight. I mean, I've caught salmon before and I, you know, I, I'll put a salmon up against the Central Park carp any day. Um, you know, I think co-hosts pound for pound, they've got nothing on Central Park carp. And so um, 
you know, literally like this fish brings me into my backing a couple times. Uh, and you know, wow. it's just me wailing on this fish. I'm casting a seven weight at this point and like 20 pound test. And I am just putting my entire arm into this thing, like side pressure, the whole deal, turning this <laughs> fish. And, you know, we get him maybe 10, 15 feet from the shoreline. Uh, and all of a sudden back out again. Uh, and I was like, okay, well not ready. Uh, meanwhile, this entire time now, we've amassed such a population of people that are like taking pictures, like cheering, like the people in the <laughs> restaurant are now like completely not eating anymore and like on the side of the pillar, like looking at us. We have people invested. behind us like taking, yeah, of course, just taking pictures. Um, and, uh, you know, long story short, we wound up reeling this fish in and now we have to come in for the scoop. Uh, and so Alex comes down and basically is trying to help me net this fish. And um, we wound up netting it, and you could literally hear the audible like "woo, hurrah!" like from everyone in the park <laughs> just watching this. Uh, and you know that's uh, that was the story of one of my most memorable sort of uh, big carp in, in Central Park. And I think uh, that really sets the stage because it's like I think in so many ways, like I've really been able to learn this fishery quite well. And like not like a couple weeks ago, I took out a bunch of my friends who had never fly fished before, and um, you know taught them the basics, like got everyone catching like panfish and bluegill. And then at the end of it, I was like, okay, let's, let's catch a carp. And so I like connected with a carp and, you know, it was a solid fish, like a 25 incher. And like to have people who have never fly fished before, never fished before, feel the power of like a 25 inch carp, uh, just like dragging offline. And again, huge spectator sport, visible audience. Everyone's like cheering. We have strangers taking pictures for us and of us. Uh, it really is just like something you'd never think about in the park. And I, it's like every time I'm now walking around, like checking out new areas and scouting for like, oh, this would be a good spot where like the carp have moved to. Um, like it, it really is awesome that so many people are so interested in fishing. And I think it just gives me so much joy to always think about like, wow, like this is something that people want to connect with. Um, and it, it every time I go, it's like I can never go to the park seeking solace because I know if I catch a fish, uh, I'm going to have like a huge spectator audience of people. And I think that's really part of it because I don't think many places in the world exist where you can go and catch, uh, you know, tippet class size, like world record carp almost uh, and being in like one of the most densely populated areas in, in, in the world. Um, and so I think that kind of sets the stage. I just couldn't even imagine being like one of your friends just being like, Hey, we're going to come visit you in New York. We, these are the things we want to do. Uh, we want to see a Broadway show. We want to, and then you're like, and what about carp fishing? Like I can't, Yes, <laughs> yes that's going to be on our list of things to do. We're going to go carp fishing on top of going to the Broadway show and Central Park. And, um, I, I just always find that so entertaining. What, what kind of fish are in Central Park? Is it all carp? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So it's actually really interesting because it, it sort of depended upon the ponds. Um, so basically, um, in, in some of the ponds, so like up north, sort of the distribution is like uh, you have like the Harlem mere is sort of the more northernmost water body. And then it sort of works down uh, to like the main lake. And then you have Turtle Pond and a couple other like smaller like sloughs and things in between. But um, basically in the main lake, which is primarily the place like carp, but they have carp in, in all of the ponds. Uh, you, you have primarily common and mirror carp there. Uh, as well as like the, the slew of panfish. So like bluegill, sunfish, perch, um, crappie. Um, and then basically there's a couple of ponds such as turtle pond, which actually is a smallmouth bass fishery, which is pretty awesome when you think about it. And it's one of the only places within like a lot of the New York City park systems that has like a smallmouth bass fishery. Um, and so it, it, was, it was such a shame. We, my friend Alex and I, again, he's like one of my good fishing buddies. We went out and he wanted cooking like this, like almost four or five pound giant smallmouth. And like the pond is, you know, maybe a quarter of an acre and and uh, we were like what like, he's throwing four like four pound test you know like hardly six x and um because we're thinking we're going for panfish and hooks into this massive fish and i was like oh no <laughs> um yeah but uh so that's it's their smallmouth bass largemouth bass crappie all the panfish species um and what we recently connected with was actually catfish so they have um uh lots of uh, flathead catfish actually in some of the sloughs uh and then yeah the sort of carp species. And I've seen a couple koi that I've not yet connected with, but there are koi in some of these ponds as well. I love smallmouth. I, I think they're <sighs> just such interesting fish. And they all seem to fight differently in such different places. Like we went fishing for smallmouth on Flathead uh, River and comparing it to the Midwest, like the Midwest smallmouth are such a different like fighting species. And um, it's just interesting how they just kind of fight differently when they're in different water conditions. But um, 
what an amazing place that you live and you fly t- and you have your little fly tying bench just overlooking that those waters like can't wait to go fishing tomorrow I wonder what the conditions how are you casting are you doing like I heard you say roll cast is that kind of more of the uh, technique that you're using when you're fishing in Central Park yeah so I think that that definitely is the primary technique um so like I actually build like leaders that are kind of set up specifically for roll casting especially like in the instance when I took some friends out who again never fly fished like I'm trying to basically build as much sort of advantage into the leader system to like really be able to turn over a fly without having to like do an overhead cast. Um, not only just because like it's a lot technically more, more it's a technically more feasible, but um, it's generally what you kind of have to do just because like a lot of the times the carp are going to feed really close to shore. And so you might be, you know, along a bank that has a tree overhanging because the carp are eating mulberries or they're like specifically keying in on like, uh, you know, bread or something that people might be feeding to ducks or something like that or they're eating like which has happened before which is crazy they're eating midges because like if you fish them in low light conditions like some of the lights will like bring insects to the water and they're like feeding on these you know wide variety of, of um of forage types but most times your casting room is pretty pretty limited i'm looking for the place where i can have like open bonefish casting uh lanes that would be ideal uh, and you get you get a couple of those shots every once in a while but um most times it's roll cast though when you have these guests that come in and they're just like, we're going to go fly fishing in New York. Like what are some of the responses that you hear? Oh yeah. Oh, that's a great question. It's funny. Actually, one of my friends is visiting came in yesterday and I was like, do you want to go carping at central park? <laughs> and he was like, I'll <laughs> think about it. Um, but no. And then meanwhile, I have a friend who just flew up from California like a couple weeks ago who literally came here and was like, I'm going to bring my rod. I want to go catch one of these carp and some bass. And I was like, come on, man, let's do it. Um, so I think it's like a lot of my friends who fish already, I think are very much so like jazzed up by the idea. And I think everyone who sort of uh, is already in the fishing community here in New York is they love, they love it. And I think it's one of these types of things where because it's a pretty publicly accessible fishery um, and also like it's catch and release, it's mandatory barbless. All of those things, I think, make it to where it's like, I don't feel any pressure about like spot guarding or anything. And I think like that's something that I think does happen in some places. And I don't really feel that because I'm like, look, these fish are here. People should use the resource because everyone who goes in there in the park to try to catch one of these fish, like they hopefully will expose a new set of anglers that, you know, eventually make the conversion and uh, dive all in it, dive full in. And those people eventually become the next wave of conservationists. And so it all really ties back. Um, And so I think for my friends who don't fish, they're always very intrigued because I think for like most recent example, um, when it, it was a group of four people and so they had never fished before. And I mean, they were just, it was amazing just to see them witness, like really interacting with like a wild animal in that way, you know, because for the first time, like that was like their most, you know, wild quote unquote experience. Um, so it's really cool to bring that to people. And I think after they had it, it was like, you know, here they are like interested in hunting and like going back out yeah. like in waders and trout fishing again. And so it's like, you know, I think these sorts of examples and experiences are, are really captivating for people. And so I think um, a lot of people are interested, like even strangers in the park who are like, I've had people like walk up to me and be like, can you teach me how to cast? And I'm like, uh, yeah, wow. I can. Um, and then also people who are like, can I hold the rod and take a picture? And I was like, yeah, you can. <laughs> um, you kind of get the gamut. And then I've had people as well who are like, oh, do you eat the fish? And I was like, not from here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's it's a whole gamut. It really is a whole gamut. But I think on the whole, um, everyone is more interested. And I think positive responses, like I've never really had negative responses fishing in Central Park yet. Um, granted, there are like specific laws and stuff, but as long as you're following this, I've had no issues. Well, and for you, do you feel, because, you know, they say, what is it? The Big Apple. It's kind of like the place that doesn't sleep. It, for me, you have this experience of what New York is and it's busy and it's light and it's working and it's, you know, it's also the grind, right? Where you're just like, you work really hard. Do you find that statement to be true? And have you have you found that fly fishing in Central Park has been a place to balance that extreme from like high intensity bunch of people to just being on the water? Yes and no. I think so. So that's, I think that's a great point that you're bringing up. Uh, and I think that's definitely true. I do agree. New York is the work culture of New York is definitely very like, you know, work very hard and play hard, but also work harder. <laughs> uh, but I, and, I, and, you know, I think like, as like, a, I'm, I'm an, I'm a medical student here in the city and as well doing like a PhD in pharmacology. So it's like, you know, I definitely feel and oh, have like a, yeah, like a large presence of that energy. And, uh, you know, there are definitely some nights with limited sleep. But I think for me, one of the biggest parts of it is that like having this sort of resource in my backyard, 
like anytime that like I do get really stressed and I'm like, oh, I would really have to go and like cast and just like connect with the fish. Like I don't have to hop in my car or like hop on the train to go and like, you know, gets around with like some like trout waters, which like I love too, but it's really nice to be able right. to hop on a bike and be five minutes down the road from like, you know, hooking into like largemouth bass or like, you know, really awesomely sized carp that are like technical and very challenging and sort of fill that need. Uh, but even in, in terms of just like the ability just to get out there um, and just kind of have some peace and quiet, I think that that's maybe somewhat harder to find, but there are spots. And I think that's one of the cool parts that I've enjoyed is like, as I sort of progressed in my fishing journey, um, it's become less and less about uh, finding like my own sort of like, you know, finding like the big trophy or whatever, and more about bringing other people out. Cause I think for me, that's like really more, more enjoyable or equally as enjoyable at this point. Um, and so that I think it's really cool. Yeah. So it's, it, you can kind of, I think, make it, make it what you, what you need, which I appreciate. Absolutely. Well, I mean, on that note, I mean, you are, you are giving a lot of time don't, um, to teach people how to fly fish, right? You're also on the, cause we met, we should, we should have a full disclosure. We met at the, uh, BHA rendezvous in Missoula this past, uh, was that like summer? Sure. Didn't feel like summer. When was that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was May. It felt like, uh, it felt like March or February even. (laughs) It felt like winter. And, um, it was just so interesting learning about all the, uh, organizations that you were involved in and, um, that those include, and you're gonna have to add some of it. You're with, uh, New York's, uh, BHA, uh, and, uh, New York trout. Right. And then, you have to help me out with some of the other oh, yeah. organizations, which I just cannot imagine being a medical student in New York and then also donating all this time for conservation and what you love to do. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, it's uh, I can't imagine not doing it after doing it for, you know, at least four or five years now. It's uh, it's um, it's so rewarding. And I think it also just like re- revitalizes me and recharges me for when I like, go back into the lab and like I'm doing experiments or something and stuff doesn't work, which it often does. Uh, or, you know, have like a hard time in the clinic or something. And uh, I think it's like these sorts of moments and this sort of work, I think is also, it's really fulfilling because it, it, it feels great, right? Yeah. To be able to put your time and energy into something that you can like see sort of tangible rewards for. Um, not to mention like, I love, you know, being outside. I love fishing, hunting, hiking, the whole deal. Uh, but yeah, so to, to, to uh, I guess follow up. So I'm on the board for New York Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, which is a conservation group that protects public land access. Um, and that's that's how we we connected. I uh, spoke um, through my involvement with Hunters of Color. So I'm the ambassador for New York Hunters of Color as well, which is uh, basically an organization that's a nonprofit that's focused on trying to get more people of color into hunting and sort of, sort of training and mentored hunts and mentorship and community building. And then I'm also on the board for New York City Trout Unlimited. And so between those those groups, it sounds like a wow. lot, but they overlap a lot. They do overlap a lot. At least I make them overlap a lot. So I think in that regard. <laughs> Um, I'm thankful that everyone on the board is quite, uh, they're, they're pretty flexible with, oh yeah, like I want to do this thing with like Trout Unlimited and also Hunters of Color and BHA. And they're like, yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. And I think it's just like really cool whenever you get to tie so many parts of your world together. Like, um, yeah, I love like whenever I have friends who in med school who, you know, never fished or hunted or hiked or anything. And I'm like, let's go and catch a carp in Central Park. And then we're going to go trout fishing up and like my home waters up at the Croton and then we're going to go crabbing and then we're going to go mousing at night. And then, you know, it's, uh, and this is all in like New York. Like this is like the spot that you're introducing people to do all these, uh, these activities, outdoor activities. Oh yeah. 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 I try to stay local as much as I can. And I think, um, that's so, so I started off like when I first moved to the city, um, at this point, four years ago, I, um, I didn't have a car. And so my girlfriend and I got a car only in the beginning of the pandemic, but basically before then I was riding the train to go fishing. And so like I connected with a couple of groups that were also fly fishing oriented groups in the city, like Metropolitan Fly Fishing, which is like another big New York City fly fishing group. And um, then sort of got connected with New York City Trout Unlimited and some of my friends had cars, so I would tag along with them. But then I was like, look, I'm addicted to this. I need to figure out a way how to make this happen all the time. And so I was like riding the train to go to like Connecticut, which is, you know, I say it's Connecticut, it's a different state, but that's a 40 minute train ride. And you're like on, you know, amazing, like trout fishing waters, same thing for sort of uh, like local New York waters, like a 45, 50 minute commute. And you're on like one of the best, it's like a wild quality trout stream, like in like, you know, the Hudson Valley, which is like an hour from the city. Um, that's sort of like in New Yorkers backyards. And then, you know, even farther, you can ride the bus up, go in the Catskills and be in like the Adirondack trailways and be on the Delaware or the Esopus. 
uh, some of these, you know, the Willowomack, the Beaver Kill, the Roscoe area, some of like the most famous sort of American birthplace of fly fishing areas, which is so steep with history. And so, um, yeah, when I first started, I didn't have a car. So that was definitely tough, but I still managed to get out in between all of that. Um, and I just, it was just a lot of planning. But now that I have a car, it's like really nice because it's like, you know, flexibility, being able to plan my like work schedule a little bit helps. And then, uh, you know, if I'm like, I'm going to take the morning off and work in the night, then that's exactly uh, what I do. Like I was out pike fishing, fishing yesterday. Um, like in a place 30 minutes from here out in New Jersey. And so again, really close. So like the tri-state area is really accessible to most people. Um, and uh, they stock it with pike, this like river system that runs through New Jersey and the Passaic. And I mean, you can catch giants there. Like I, I, so I ran into the guy who actually fishes there all the time. Like he's like a local and fishes there three times a week. And he showed me a picture of like a 30 inch pike. He's like, I haven't broken into that 36 class range landed, but he's landed. He's like hooked in some fish that are pushing that like 36 inch pike range 30 minutes from the city. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. I was going to ask you, Brandon, because I know you said you do the, uh, is it fishing with people of color? Oh yeah. Is that yeah. the, what, is it ever, is it hard, Do you find it difficult to try and bring awareness to the outdoors um, and like, how do you spread that information out? Cause I'm sure it's like, I don't think people are in New York, like, you know what I need to learn how to, as opposed to like, I live in Montana, I married a fishing guy and I was like, you know what, I'm going to get into fly fishing. I'm going to get into hunting. Cause I, everyone around me was doing it. And I was like, well, shoot, if, especially if, you know, sometimes I'll look at some guy, I'm like, that guy can do it <laughs> for sure as hell. I can do it. But do you find it's really hard to try and like, get people um, in the city, especially to be like, Hey, let's go. Um, let's go fishing and hunting. If they don't see it within like the brick walls that, you know, the, what do you call that? Like cement jungle. Isn't that what they call it? Yeah. Yeah. The concrete it? jungle. Yes. I think that, yeah, that, that's a, that you raise a really great point and that's definitely true. And so I think uh, there are a lot of barriers, right? And when you think about like, how do you get into the sort of like hunting, fishing, outdoor lifestyle, when if your family didn't do it, if you're in a place like the concrete jungle, like New York, where people really don't think of this as something that's accessible to them. And so, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've sort of uh, dedicated a lot of time and energy to through like my involvement with a bunch of these groups is really like making sure we have programming that's like accessible for people to sort of tap into that. Um, and so I think one of the big things is that like a lot of people just aren't aware, right? That like, oh, wow, like in 49 minutes, I can be, you know, somewhere where it's like has amazing waterfowling, like for like, you know, 60 days of the year um, or like, you know, excuse me, uh, bow hunting somewhere for like deer, like in, you know, about that same amount of time to on like literally like wild class, like trout management water that is 50 minutes from the city. Um, and so I think just having people have that sense of awareness, I think is one thing. And so um, some of the ways that uh, I've sort of worked at, at doing this in collaboration with a bunch of other organizations or again, just events. So like um, we have like a bunch of casting clinics that like we used to run with Trout Unlimited. So like we did one with another group that was focused on fishing for uh, visually impaired anglers, which was really successful and people enjoyed. And sort of independently, like, um, you know, how like I sort of reach out to people and how I sort of try to bring more people into the fold. You know, like I have a lot of friends who are people of color who didn't have exposure, et cetera, and don't know people who fish or hunt or anything aside from me. So they see my story and they're like, wow, that's cool. Like that turkey, that looks really good. And I was like, yeah, like you can harvest it next May if you come <laughs> with me uh, or the fish, you know, et cetera. You can also catch and sort of sustainably, you know, harvest your own food. And I think that people are interested. Yes. And I think, yeah, New York is a big food place. And so that's my, I, I think people connect a lot on food as like a gateway. And then after that, like the idea that you can sort of be like more intentionally connected to your food where it's like grounded in like a locality, like the, you know, the license that you buy, like people don't realize that that actually funds like conservation officers and like people who enforce regulations that like protect these animals. So it's not just like someone who yes. donates amorphously, right? It's like hunters, anglers, people who, you know, are like contributing to like uh, all those goods that sort of sustain this like way of life and also the land and, and the actual resources. Uh, and so I think, you know, something that I care a lot about and it's, I'm very passionate about. And so like, I pretty much can't talk to any of my friends <laughs> for better or for worse without it somehow <laughs> circling back. Um, but I think it's, that, I'm the yeah, same way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know how it is. It's just like, it's infectious. It really is. And so um, I think that like a lot of ways in which I sort of bring new people in is really just like, you know, like I have friends who are like, in grad school with me who are like, oh, that looks really cool. And I'm like, you think so? Come to this next event. And like, you know, who knows for them, maybe that's like the hook, line and sinker that pulls them in. 
and they're hooked forever. No or maybe pun intended. Like, yeah, it, uh, that was pun intended. I, I intended for that one. I hope that lands. <laughs> oh, it uh, does. <laughs> Lance, you see what I did there? Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I think really just allowing people the opportunity to sort of be plugged into it. And, and my sort of way in which I think about it is that like, look, I'm, I'm not of the thinking that like this one experience is going to like be it for people. Right. I think it's like an exposure thing. And so if people go, they have mm-hmm. a good experience, they at least get to see for themselves like, oh, wow. So that's what it's like. like that's sort of the exposure um, that allows people to then sort of come to their own decisions uh, on their own accord. And so I think and, and I think a, a big thing of it, too, is that like making sure that people are comfortable. So like as a person of color, right, like they see me doing this stuff and they're like, whoa, like, holy crap, I can do this, too. And I'm like, you literally can. Um, but I also understand that like I had like a family ab- upbringing of like like my uncle was a game warden for like 10 or 15 years. My like grandparents hunted. They like hunted for sustenance. So like cool. my my yeah, my uncle on the other on my other side is like a professional bass fisherman. And so it's like, you know, I definitely have been sort of raised in this um, through and through. And I think that like it's really just awesome to be able to give that back to people who maybe didn't know or didn't have exposure or didn't have that sort of familial connection to it. And sort of rebuild that community sense and, and i think it's been really cool because i've met a lot of other people who even if they're not people of color they're other like sort of allies and people who care about these resources and realize that like look the world is changing and eventually like the world's gonna look a, a lot you know it's yeah. gonna look pretty mixed and i think that people realize that um it, it the outdoors really are for everyone and i think that like you know everyone should have the opportunity to recreate uh, in a place and a space that feels good and safe for them, because that's going to make them sort of realize that like, oh, wow, like this is something that I can do. And if I want to make this a part of my life, like it can be there for me forever, like wherever I go. And I think doing it in New York City has unique challenges, which be happy to talk about. Uh, but I think uh, once you do it here, you're really like, this is kind of, I think, honestly, if you can do this it here, you could do it anywhere and anywhere else. That was going to be my next question, Brandon. What skill sets have you learned in New York that you think has prepared you for the uh, like outdoor fishing and other parts of the world? Yeah, so I guess I'd break that down in terms of like a couple, so like technical skills in terms of like uh, like fishing, hunting, et cetera, skills. Um, I'd say like what the casting piece of it is big, like in the park, like I think, you know, I think I'm a pretty proficient caster. And like, I think that I can go anywhere on like a river system and not really worry about like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to cast this fish somehow. Um, because it's like when you train in a place where like there are you know literally like thousands of people walking around like randomly approaching from all directions like you have to have a sense of awareness and like control with your cast and so like that in and of itself is really useful um i think the teamwork element of like tag teaming sort of carp like i I really enjoyed with like my friend alex he's like my carpin buddy um and in general other people who i bring out too like whenever we get to sort of like spot fish and things of nature like that translates really well to being on the flats um, I think the element of really sort of uh, having like the preparation and sort of like planning. So like when you do an adventure, anytime you go somewhere, it's like, okay, I need to look at like land access and like, how are we going to access the section of river that doesn't have like a parking lot in the trailhead? Like, but we got to scale down this like, you know, slight like cliff or something, or like maybe it's off the railroad or, you know, just trying to figure out like the legality yeah. and the planning piece. I think that translates everywhere. Um, and then I think another part of it from like a technical standpoint, is, uh, you know, you really get, I think, pretty good at selecting. And, and I say selecting, uh, my close friends and uh, loved ones would <laughs> might say obsessing uh, over gear, because it really matters if your gear is like the best sort of stand or rod or whatever, if it doesn't break down to something you can pack cl- like comfortably into a New York City apartment and like transport <laughs> in and out of your like 14th floor, like it doesn't matter because you can't have it. It has to be portable. And so, <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah. You're not going to be a big gear junkie in New York. No, I am a gear junkie. That's the thing is I'm like a selective gear junkie though. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So. Oh, see, that's right. You're not going to go to the garage sale though and bring them back like, hey, these, all these rods were on sale. You're like, no, I'm very particular in what's coming into the apartment. Exactly, exactly. And so that's definitely been a learned thing because it's like originally I was just a giant gear junkie as I think most people are. Um, you know, rods, like pick up, oh, oh, they had this bamboo rod on like a discount at a, ro- at a garage sale. Uh, you know, and you know, I, whereas I used to be like, I'll buy all three. And now I'm like, actually, <laughs> I'm, it's fine. I have a two weight, like I have a bamboo rod. I'm, I don't need to do this right now. And so I think you're just like more selective over the things that actually 
take up space, like those things have to bring value to you, like almost like at some point in time in the swing of your year, right? Because it's like, otherwise it's just like crowding your apartment. And so it's not to say that I'm perfect at that by any means. I'm still learning uh, <laughs> immensely on that. Uh, you can ask my roommates, uh, my girlfriend included. But um, basically uh, it does require you, I think, to though think about like, oh yeah, like I'm not going to buy this like, you know, stand or this like chest pack or something that's like, not going to be portable or like a cooler, for example, like most people think about coolers and they're like, yeah, I want the biggest Yeti for like my space that I can take. I'm like, no, I want the one on a backpack. So that way, whenever I like go and I decide to keep fishing on the salt water <laughs> or, pack. you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can like actually pack it out on my back and like take it, you know, where like up the stairs to my apartment or whatever, instead of like having, you know, a huge like hundred gallon Yeti that I've got to like lug out somehow from street parking to my apartment, which like, so all those things are like considerations, right? And even with like vessels, like I, I got really big into like the um, sort of inflatable game. And that was out of necessity because I was like, look, I really want to access water that I would be able to with a boat. Um, but I don't obviously have the space to store like a hard shell kayak. So I was like, what's the best solution for me? And like, um, you know, an inflatable sea eagle kayak that breaks down to 35 pounds and packs up and can fit in the trunk of my like a high end day like accent. That's perfect um and like that fits the need that like i have and so i think really just trying to like be selective and sort of meticulous about your gear preparation um is something that i've definitely learned a lot about that i think is going to cross over well because anytime i go someplace i'm like oh this is like a fitting a need that like matches where i'm at right now with space totally makes sense (laughs) why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I also feel like, do you, I bet you don't get rattled as much. Because when um, this, like, for example, me and my girlfriends went on this hiking, backpacking trip to the lake and it was a long hike and we get up there and I'm like, are you kidding me? There's people up here. And I was like, oh, this is, this is not okay. And, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like, someone coming in my fishing water. And I bet you none of that would probably, I mean, maybe, but would that rattle you? Or you'd be like, this is great. This is up here. And wow, there's only just a few people here. But sometimes I'm like, what are you doing up here? This is, I was up here first. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I do think so. I think I definitely yeah, I'm I think I am less rattled about that kind of stuff just because it's like, you know what, it's all it's public right. land, public water. So I'm like, I and I believe in that, right? And so it's like, I it would be, you know, and so but at the same time, not to say that I won't get annoyed if someone's like, Oh, dang it. They're set up before me. Yeah. That's a perfect hole. Uh, but I'll hit it after <laughs> them or something. But I think, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so that definitely does happen. But I do think that like, I get, you know, that's one thing that I think I definitely do sort of uh, appreciate that, like, the sort of sense of space, like for me, it's like really nice to be out on a river system where like, I'll go and see, like, there's a river that I fish pretty regularly out in Connecticut. And like, um, what, when it, like I used to fish it off season. So like before they stocked and stuff, cause they had a bunch of holdover fish. And that was like my first sort of, um, like it's, I consider that part of my like home water. And, um, basically like within that, I used to not see anyone there. And then all of a sudden the season rolled in like spring. And this is my first year here several years ago. And I was like, wait, all these people. And you know what? I was like, oh, it's actually pretty cool because they're hitting the main holes. And by that point, I'm like, I've already figured out the stretches where like I want to fish. And like, that's nowhere where everyone else is. And if there are people there, then, you know, I think it just gives me another reason to explore. Yes. Um, and so I think that, yeah, it does give me that perspective. I think that grace of perspective. Uh, not to say, though, that it, there aren't moments like I was on the Farmington actually recently where I had a moment like this. And it was like someone literally started fishing downstream from where I've been in the river for like oh. three hours fishing upstream. And fished right down next to me, cast it in my Ooh. lane. And at this point, I'm like, oh, don't blow up. Don't blow up. I was like, hey, like, this is bad fishing etiquette. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll go fish downstream. I was like, wow. No, yeah, like, it, it granted it's like 50 feet. But I was like, Ugh. it's fine, though. It's fine. I mean, that's great. Because <laughs> the other we were also on the mat. We went on the Madison and. We oh, that was just crazy. I mean, there was an angler on every bend. I mean, you had your water, and yeah. that was your water. Like you couldn't, you you were not going to maneuver. All you could do is just change your flies. Like that's your water, and that's where you're standing. And sometimes, um, 
I sometimes am like, oh, I get so frustrated um, and try not to because also like you, I think it's so wonderful that we have these public lands and these public waters hunting as well that we have these access to do these things because it is should be it should be for everybody. But sometimes when we're all doing it at the same time. It's um, it can feel a little bit frustrating. Um, and so, yeah. Well, and also when we were, uh, last time I saw you, you were gearing up for a tournament, oh, right? Yes, I was. How did that go? And tell about, let's talk about the tournament. What is, what was that tournament? Cause it was kind of like, did you have to like catch as many fish species? I, you just, you tell, you tell, you tell it. Yeah. This is, so, this is one of my favorite, like my absolute favorite tournaments. And so like I fish a couple of tournaments a year, um, a couple most of them trout, um, like sort of like just like numbers based and size based trout tournaments up in the Catskills um and some in connecticut but this one is like my favorite all and this was like the first tournament that i fished two years ago and it just kind of got me hooked on the idea of like really sort of like fishing competitively somewhat because it really i think puts you on your a game in a way that like if you're just going out it's like enjoyable always right but um you really it's so satisfying to see yourself level up as an angler uh and so basically the mayfly project is this really awesome nonprofit that essentially works with children in the foster care system and essentially pairs them with yes. fly fishing mentors and gets them connected with their own gear, like the knowledge, the experience, they go out, et cetera, to eventually build them up to where they're like completely sort of fully self-sufficient in fly fishing uh, by the time that they're done with the program. And so they have branches and chapters and programs all over the states and they put this tournament on and it was kind of modeled after the 25 on the fly or the mile high on the fly, which is like a tournament based out of Colorado, I think it's Denver. Uh, but essentially, it's kind of like a cross between a scavenger hunt meets a fly fishing tournament. And so you have from you have about 16 hours, maybe 20 on some days, depending on how what the light and light up and light down times are for your for your area. But um, it's Saturday, Sunday, all day fishing from sun up to sundown. And basically, what you're trying to do is um, it, it's an online tournament, so it's like anyone can just register. Uh, there's like a, all of your donation fees used to go directly to Mayfly, which is great. And the sort of like supporting them as a nonprofit, which is honestly what it's about. Um, like they're an awesome organization doing great work. Um, and I would highly recommend all the listeners go and check them out if they don't know about it and donate to them. They do great work. But anyway, so this tournament, um, basically they have a point system allotted for species. And so there are 25 different species, um, that you can catch or, or attempt to catch within that time frame. So like from sun up to sundown on Sunday and Saturday, and you essentially have to video it all. So it's a ter- it's a team-based tournament because, as you can imagine, you've got to video this fish, catch it, land it, release it successfully. Uh, that's a lot of things going on. Um, and so it really has to happen with the team. And so um, the first year that uh, my, my teammate and Alex and I had done it, it was just absolutely incredible. Like we, you know, they had like mirror carp, common carp, catfish, like striped bass, smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, all the trout species, brook brown rainbow. Um, they even had some like, uh, like, uh, cutties for like the Western folks. And they also had wa- my, like mountain whitefish for the Western folks as well. Um, but yeah, so this year, um, it was, they changed it up entirely this year because they wanted to sort of shake up the fish list. And so they had a lot of species on there that were like pretty tricky. Um, so like freshwater, um, uh, oh, wow. I, I'm totally blinking and uh, not, not carp, uh, freshwater drum. I, I, I was like, oh, this is a stumper. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, where can you go to catch those? And so freshwater that drum. That is crazy. Garfish. And so, like, think about, like, the geographical location of New York. I was like, oh, my gosh, garfish. Like, that's like a – I'm from Louisiana originally, and so that would have been a shoe-in. I was like, oh, no problem. Uh, but here it's like, oh, wow, that's like Lake Champlain, uh, a four- or five-hour trek up for us. And so, uh, yeah, they had some really co- – some, some tough species on the list this year. Uh, but I mean, it was amazing. Like we started off. So like our sort of strategy was that we wanted to sort of hit our farthest out places. And so for us, that was like coastal and also sort of pay mind to the tides. And so we wanted to get stripers out of the way because like with saltwater fishing, it can kind of be hit or miss. And so you go from in the same day, you know, fishing the outlet of like the Croton of like the Croton sort of watershed uh, on like surf casting for stripers to, you know, up in the headwaters catching brook trout. And so it's really amazing because you get to see everything in between that, right? So you get to go and target smallmouth bass and some of these like little freestones that are like too warm to support trout. And then like we always traditionally go back and catch our carp from Central Park. And we actually caught a lot of species there this year too. So we were able to sort of like uh, be efficient about the time there. But um, yeah, it's a combination of like ripping and running and trying to find the places. And this year started off like kind of on edge because whereas last year, 
um, I guess two years ago, we had caught our striped bass like in a blitz that happened like 10 minutes into the tournament. It's like 535 and we're like, yes, um, you know, like my friend Alex has a 30 inch striper on. I'm like hooked into a fish. I was like, dude, we can't leave. He's like, yeah, but we got to go catch the next one. So I was like, in an hour. And so, uh, yeah, so we're like just blowing around on time. And the same thing happened with trout. It was like, we just like had an amazing day. Uh, and this was last year. And so we set, set up all these expectations for like how we're going to do it this year. And we get there and, uh, you know, same thing, 530-ish in the morning. We're set up drinking our coffee, looking for cruisers, looking for bait balls and stuff. And we're like all fishing from shore. Um, but you can't fish from a vessel. It really depends on how your team want to break it down. And so Alex and I are on the shore of uh, this like big like rock jetty that shoots out into the sort of on the edge of a canal by about 500 yards. So you can walk up and down this and just cruise and look for look for bait balls. And so we're like, dude, it's still. And an hour goes by of us just like, I mean, we're just like working because, you know, you're like kind of on the clock. It's like the first fish of the morning. So we're like, oh, we got to get on the board and like then go on. And uh, we were struggling. And so we fished for two hours with no fish. So eventually we like, and the, and the tides too. So we've been timing the tides because it's like this place traditionally fishes better uh, with an outgoing tide. And so we were like, okay, high. And then it switched. So it should be, you know, all the fish should be stacked up right outside getting all the bait coming out. Not the case. So tide is like almost slack at this point. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. So we go all the way up into the headwaters, which is like low flows, but they're big, deep pockets. And it's sort of like an estuary. So I'm like, who knows? Maybe we can pick up some like small schoolish stripers that were like in the surf uh, in some of these back like estuaries and stuff. And lo and behold, I'm like, you know, hitting this little grass flat. Like we're like wading through at this point. And uh, all of a sudden I hear from Alex, get the net, get the net. And so I go over and I'm like, <laughs> yes. Um, and it was the weirdest thing because it was like, you know, two and a half hours in. We're like, oh, thank oh. gosh. Because uh, at this point, you know, two years ago, we were like on cloud nine. So we're like, okay, yeah. we're good, we're good. We got our fish on, we netted the fish. And it was the weirdest thing because it was like this striper, um, it looked like it had some sort of like a like a parasite or something. It didn't like it didn't look to be in good health, but um, it was the strangest thing. So we like caught this fish, and I was like, "Is that a striper?" And then I was like, "It's a striper, but it's not looking good." Weird. Uh, so it was very strange and a weird way to start the morning. But then it all turned, um, you know. And I think that's one of the cool things, though. It's because it's just like we've gone back to that area, and we sort of had to pivot from our a pre previous plan, which is I think the coolest part of that because it's like whereas previously like we were able to find fish sort of feeding out in the surf at that point. We like went and started hitting some of these big estuaries and like it, it paid off. And I think it's one of those types of things that like those moments where you're kind of under the pressure, it like really forces you to make a decision that like you wouldn't have in normal fishing circumstances, like I think done. And so, um, oh, yeah. yeah. And so that's one thing that I was really appreciative of because it's like with that time, basically we were like, look, we already lost some time. So like, let's not drive to this other place that's a little farther. Let's go and check out this like kind of exploratory trout spot that I'd been wanting to stop by and I was like, I think it's a wild fishery. It's like a little blue line and lo and behold, wild brook trout, wild browns, like 10 minutes away from this place. What? And it was just incredible. Oh, it was incredible. Like, and this is a place you've never even been to. So now you've got this great new fishing spot exactly, that you've like. Exactly, exactly. So cool. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, sort of the scavenger hunt element of that. It really is awesome because it's like most of our time, it's like up in terms of like the scouting for that tournament is like dropping pins on places where like, we should check this place out. We should check this place out. Oh, this is a tributary off of like this main feed and like temperature data from this main river suggested this might be like, you know, cold. And so like, we yeah. should go and check it out. And it, that's exactly how it happened. And lo and behold, like we wound up going back to this place, finding this haven of just like wild fish. It was amazing. And like, it's like, a, like a, you know, it looks like a spigot coming off the side of a highway. Like you'd never think. We pulled off, we're like bushwhacking down. Uh, and it's like the peak <laughs> of summer, right? So it's like bushy and thick and overgrown. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So we get down to there and I'm like, dang, this is looking low. But the temps were good. And I was like, it's cold. So all dry flies, brookies, browns. Oh. It was just incredible. And then we work our way down the stream and find this huge pool. And I was like, oh, dude, this is like a good looking pool. And we start, so Alex, he's, he's the birder. So he's always got his binoculars. So he pulls out his binoculars and starts blasting the pool because we see a couple of fish rising. And uh, lo and behold, some of the biggest browns that I've seen, like, I, I mean, they must have been 20 plus inch fish, just like sipping little mayflies off the surface. And I was like, this is crazy. Holy smokes. <laughs> it was insane. It was insane. That's a nice fish in Montana. I, it was, it, I mean, it was really like remarkable. So like, we're like trying to set up on these fish now because it's so small that like, you're essentially, your entire backcast room is the entire length of the creek. And so it's like, again, the spotting piece of it, of like sort of working as a team to be like, okay, 
uh your cast has got to be you, you, like you're making long casts for this too it's like we like change leaders we're like got 6x on we're running like 15 foot leaders and i'm like okay uh <sighs> this is gonna have to be like a pretty long pretty precise cast and like you gotta throw you know we're throwing like parachute cast to like let all the slack completely take out drag free because it's like it's so still like it doesn't look like trout water it looks like a big back eddy pool and so i'm like how are there fish in here um but anyway six x it was crazy we we didn't land the fish we had one take we did not land that would have been that would have been just cake but we did waste a lot of time in the tournament oh my gosh but like how cool though for you guys because i I, do you ever feel this way as anglers especially in a tournament because you had that so much success on that other um zone that you guys kind of like your path in scavenger hunt that you'd be like well let's just keep sticking with what we know and the fact that you were like no let's check out something new that would be i mean i i, I find that so amazing because I, I think as anglers sometimes i'm like i know where the big fish are yeah let's stick with what we with what we no, know that's exactly it and i think that's the cool thing about this tournament is that every year it comes around and it kind of forces me to like break my mold of like oh yeah i should like i've already i know i know what's sort of here i've like fished this place and know it kind of well enough and it's allowed me to sort of explore different parts of my like home waters that I would have never thought to like, oh yeah, let me check this like random blue line off on this pull off on the highway. Um, that has no like <laughs> angler parking lot. It's like public access. Like I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, let me check it out. There's nothing on it about the maps of DEC or like our regulations, like in terms of like, uh, oh yeah, this is like a wild trout stream. And uh, yeah, so it, it really does. <laughs> it, it's, it's always amazing to me because it's like, I'm so thankful for that because it's like, I always leave that tournament feeling like I've learned so much about the water. Um, how did you end the tournament? Did you guys end? Yeah, well? so it was uh, so so we started so from that day we wound up you know spending a lot of time on uh, trying to catch that big brown, um, <laughs> and we're unsuccessful. But we caught a couple other good ones, you know, like solid wild fish. Uh, and so then from there, basically, we wound up moving on to go catch our smallmouth bass, uh, which we caught at like a place that we had suspected that there would be smallies at. Um, and so then basically we moved to the park after that. And so basically we hit some of the spots in Central Park to basically clever out like our carp. Like we, we like catching the carp in Central Park. They're like fun. They're big. They're like exciting to catch. Um, and it, it's funny, like I'll send you some of the pictures. Cause like, again, we had people like this random guy, James, who was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm like, and he's like, just literally taking photos for us. He's like, can I take photos for you guys? Cause we're like landing this fish and we're like, yeah, we're in a tournament. That'd be amazing. Um, and so he's got like amazing photos of all of us, uh, fighting this huge fish in. And, um, so that's kind of how we, so yeah. Cool. And it's just like, that's, that was just such a highlight, but, um, it's funny cause the species that we didn't think would be like the tough ones for us um we're actually really difficult like crappie of all ones like uh we yeah huh. it was like we could not find crappie to save us i was like oh my goodness and so we wound up ending the tournament with 10 species which last year we had 11 because we were able to bag the the crappie uh and so oh my gosh that is so funny yeah i feel like those are like the one fish that I can catch all the time right <laughs> you're like where's the Velveeta yes. cheese like yes <laughs> yes I'll feed him something. Yes, literally. And so we're like, oh my goodness. So we're like, basically, we we caught our carp in the morning on Sunday, and then um, essentially rolled out to Jersey um, at, uh, to try to hit some of our pike and pickerel spots. And uh, yeah, I like wound up sticking a pretty 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 good pickerel, but it came off as we were at the net, which was just like, ah, uh, uh, that would have been like placing. Um, oh yeah, my gosh! And, yeah, it was just like ah, uh, stuck it on a streamer, and then all of a sudden, as we we're coming to the net, like I lift up goes underneath and i don't know what happened it just spit and came off and i was like oh my goodness but that was our that would have been our 11th fish but the cool thing is though we did actually explore some new water within central park even and we wound up actually catching catfish on the fly which we thought was a total wild card like we didn't expect to find that much less to be able to land them on the fly because all of this is on the fly so squirmy wormies uh wow yeah which was a catfish on the fly sight fishing too which is like amazing so it's like you get to see them in these shallow little estuaries and we were like okay What's this going to take most likely? Squirmy Wormy. And that's exactly it. It's just instantly, bam. <laughs> Squirmy Wormy. Um, I love that. That is so, and you can't keep the catfish either in Central, all fish, right? Oh, you yeah. Said. Yeah. All catch and release. I actually probably wouldn't keep any fish in Central Park either. I feel like it probably is like PCBs and pollutants there that are questionable. But there are other places like um, that we had tried to go where they could have potentially caught catfish that would have been worth keep, keeping. But yeah, so at the end of the tournament, though, it was a blast. And um, we, like, were really active on social media and stuff and really trying to get the word out about um, sort of um, supporting the Mayfly. 
And um, yeah, it's really great. Like we wound up actually winning like uh, the sort of like uh, advertising and like social media, like awareness, like uh, documentation award, which happened to be a oh, pair cool. of Helios five weights. So that was pretty sick. <laughs> no way. That is yeah. so awesome. That's it. You can fix that. You can fit that in your, um, in your apartment. That's that, that, yep, plenty that of fits. room, right? That, that fits, that fits inside of the, uh, it's got its own shelf. <laughs> You're like, it's, I found the perfect spot for this. This one goes yep. right up here. What a cool way though, to like spread the word and just also get people to explore their backyard and their home waters. And, um, like I said, kudos to you for just like exploring some water that you've never experienced. I actually found a really awesome fishery because of that tournament too, that like I put on the map and it was just like another section of this watershed. That's like my home waters that I had never really fished before. And like, I saw they had some trail systems through it. So I know it's like a regular park, but I mean, it, it's turned out to be a gold mine. Like I catch carp there all the time. Now it like runs cold off the reservoir pretty often when most places are hot, but there's no temperature gauge on like the USGS flows. And it's like, uh, I, I just feel like I found like a gym. In addition to that other like wild brook trout spot, I was like, this is just, you know, there are just so many benefits to exploring. And I think, you know, I think uh, we have the land, we have the opportunity. And so I think a lot of people don't, but it, it really is amazing when it all sort of comes together like that. Well, I think New York is gonna be my next destination. I'll bring my fly rod and then also go see a show and then call it like my trifecta. Maybe there should be like a new tri- a new trifecta in New York. You go to like a Broadway show, you go to Times Square, <laughs> and then you catch a carp or something like that. Like, Truly, oh, you haven't that's... been to New York? You haven't been to the Big Apple? You haven't caught a big carp yet? Um, <laughs> yeah, very truly. Rebranding I think that, uh... it. We'll rebrand it there, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can do the carp slam. That's one thing that's still on my list, actually, which is um, it's uh, so I've done the mirror carp. I've done the common carp there. They do have grass carp uh, in low abundance in a couple of the ponds, and they are, I think, the most difficult carp I've, I've, I've at least targeted this far. Um, like, I've yet to really find a fly that consistently works. I've had a couple of good takes from them, but um, there's not really anything consistent, like, in terms of, like, grass-looking flies and, like, sort of small, like, midges and, like, nymphal larvae that, like, could be sort of tied in, like, clumps and even, like, midges and things in nature, like surface midges. Um, I've not really been able to figure them out yet, but that would be the trifecta. And like the gold on top of that would be catching a koi fish. Cause there are a couple of them, um, oh. floating around. And so to be able to catch a koi fish out of the park would be like really cool. Dude, I sign me up. That would be so much fun. You know, carp fishing, especially here in Montana. And I think actually just generally, I think carp fishing has become uh, really hot fly fishing fish to target. Um, just even yesterday my husband um, took one of his buddies carp fishing and, you know, you get to see the tailing of the water, you know, and it's almost oh, yeah. kind of like permit meets and they fight really hard. And um, so it's a lot of sight fishing, which is, um, I love, I mean, I, I love seeing the eat. I love seeing a fish come in and um, attack it and it's natural. It's, I don't know. I just find that to be so mesmerizing as opposed to, you know, like if you have like your nymph on, you can't see anything. I'm like, I like to see some popper action. I like to see them come up and take it to eat. So, um, I would totally be up for going to New York and doing that. Oh, anytime. Let me know. It is, uh, it's addicting. Like even now I'm like, Maybe I will get out. I have another meeting. All right, you're going fishing tonight. And if you do, you need to send me a picture. <laughs> Oh, I will. If not tonight, I think definitely tomorrow, though. Brandon, if uh, people are wanting to reach out to you, because you have a lot of things going on. You're 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 hunting, you're fishing, you're on all these boards, and maybe people are like, hey, I'm going to move to New York, and I'm really into outdoors. Um, maybe they want to reach out to you and figure out how they can get more involved in their city. Um, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Um, so best way would be uh, Instagram. I'm like, I'm pretty active on social media. So I like post a lot of stuff and all about information. Great sharing, content so. too. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. I'm debating on making a YouTube channel. So we'll see. Um, but <laughs> uh, Instagram for now. Um, so yeah, bdale13 is my Instagram handle. Uh, that's at bdale13. And um, you can also find me on BHA's website. That's New York Backcountry Countries and Anglers. If you go to like the board listing um you can look me up on trout unlimited new york city trout unlimited board or or that instagram uh that that one also works and then also hunters of color so if you go to hunters of color ambassador 
Uh, that's New York Hunters of Color. You can, yeah, hit me up there. I mean, really any of these avenues, but the Instagram, my direct Instagram is the most sort of direct way. Uh, but yeah, always looking for new mentors. So if like you, any of your listeners are at all interested in becoming a mentor, like even if that's fishing, right? Like I think that this is honestly like the more people who we have fishing and, and hunting, um, the more eventual conservationists we have. And so I think that like whatever the angle is, um, it's important just to get people out and to really sort of make sure that the pipeline of mentorship uh, particularly for people who don't look like you, think like you, come from the same place that you have come from. Uh, it's so yeah. important. And so, you know, if anyone's ever interested, by all means, hit me up. And if I don't have uh, the answer, we probably have programs in your state or want to start them in your state. So by all means. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.